Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today, First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page offers us practical information that will impact every relationship in your life. Here's part two of the sermon, Being a People of Peace in a World of Rage. Hi everyone, if you missed it at the beginning of the service, my name is Steve Page, one of the pastors on staff, and it's my honor to bring the Word of God to you today as we continue in our Lenten series. Let me begin by asking this. Have you ever gotten to one of those situations where there's some level of fallout between you and another person, whether it's your friend, your spouse, your kid, your coworker, your supervisor, or even your pastor? And you kind of sit there in that post-fallout phase and you're secretly hoping that the other person makes the first move to make things right. Have you ever done that? Perhaps it's because, well, you just feel so bad about something you said or did that you wish the other person would take the pressure off and just start talking to you like everything's okay. Because that's what you really want, right? You want to feel like everything's okay. It doesn't have to be great. You just need it to be okay. Because if it's okay, well, then you don't really feel the pressure to work through all that conflict and then ask for forgiveness and and really change your behavior in the future. I can't tell you how many times when I've had an argument with my wife, I wake up the next day waiting and hoping that my wife will come to me and say something cheery because that will tell me things are okay. Now, nothing really got resolved, but hey, things are calm, so now we can move on. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Do you ever wonder why just okay feels good enough? You know why? Because okay is easy. You see, here's the thing about settling for calm or settling for okay. Calm and okay will never really take down the entire walls that we just erected between us by our conflict. Only resolution can do that. You know, People falsely believe that time heals all wounds. Well, not relational ones. You see, peacemaking, not calm-making, heals our wounds and takes down the walls. And this is the focus of my talk today, to dig into what is necessary to heal the hurts and tear down the walls that divide us so that we can create real peace. Peace in all those places we live and work and play and pray and study. Now, in pursuing that, we will dive into the second half of the verses we read from last week out of Matthew chapter 5. See, in these sets of verses, Jesus is particularly laying out how a person of the kingdom of God lives in terms of their heated emotions and torn relationships. Moreover, I'm going to bookend these verses with the words from from the brother of Jesus, that is James, because his words seem to summarize so well what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 5. So here's Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that that it was said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Now here's James 3.18. Peacemakers who sow in peace 
reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we saw last week in verses 21 and 22, this can be quite a challenge to live into. But as I alluded to a few moments ago, for a guy like me, verses 23 and 24 are even more of a challenge. And that's because Jesus is directing us to face and work through conflicts. And I said before, I prefer to just get calm and move on. But that is exactly what Jesus doesn't want to happen. Jesus does not want me to settle for calm. He wants me to work towards real peace through real reconciliation. Now, how serious is Jesus about reconciliation between people? Well, the tremendous importance of moving towards reconciliation and a right relationship with others is vividly expressed by several things. One is this. Jesus is teaching all this in Galilee. Now, why is that a big deal? Because Galilee is in northern Israel, and it takes several days to travel from there to the Jerusalem temple. So now just imagine this, a Galilean walking days to get to the temple, and then just as they're about to do something that's really important to their faith, they remember someone has something against them way back in Galilee. And then imagine them leaving the offering right there and going all those days back to Galilee to reconcile with just one person. My point is, simply by the sheer magnitude of how much physical effort this would require, lets us know how serious Jesus is about all of this. You know, it's like he's saying, I would rather have you travel for days and days and days to make things right with one person than make a special religious offering while you are living in a torn relationship. That's some serious stuff. And his seriousness is drilled home even further by his grammar. You see, when Jesus says, leave your gift in verse 24, this is not stated as a suggestion. In the original Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, it has a strong imperative tone to it. In other words, Jesus is being very emphatic about interrupting the solemn act. Now, you can almost see his face when he says these words. When you're at the temple, you realize somebody has something against you. Leave your gift. He's very emphatic here. But that's not all. The words, go and be reconciled, is also grammatically emphatic. In other words, by Jesus' graphic illustration and by his grammar, he is making it extremely clear to the crowd that a follower of God must make it a priority to rightly restore broken relationships that we may have contributed to. Now, that would be pretty interesting if you literally did this on a Sunday during worship. I mean, you know, just as we start worship, Roz is up there with the piano, she kicks off worship, and like 60% of us run out the doors of the church because we realize someone has something against us and we need to go make it right. That would look really crazy. But kidding aside, my point is Jesus is going to great pains to express that life in the kingdom of God doesn't look like a bunch of people living in perpetual conflict. Moreover, and this is really, really key, the kingdom of God does not look like everyone waiting for the other person to go first to set things right. Whether we are right or wrong, we Christians are people by definition who are called to set things right relationally. Now, I know for some of us, we would prefer it if someone who is upset with us would seek us out instead of us seeking them out. And to be fair, you know, that too is biblical. 
Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 18. If someone has sinned against you, then go and let them know that they sinned against you. However, in this teaching, Jesus is putting the restoration of relationships square on the shoulders of the one who may have caused the fracture. Now, this unique standard makes me reflect a little bit on what Jesus might be subsuming in his directives. You see, for me, it seems that Jesus is expecting somewhere in our worship experience, we're not only thinking of God, but we're also thinking of our relationships, of our interactions with others. Or, or at the very least, Jesus assumes that we are reflecting on how our life has affected others around us. What if we made that a regular practice of our lives, be it in our weekly worship experiences or in our daily quiet times or just somewhere in our week to pause, pray, and ponder about the person we have been to others? You know, the Bible is big on this kind of things. Let me just give you a real quick example out of the Psalms. In Psalm 119, it says this, I thought about the way I live and I returned to follow your laws. Now, in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, the words thought about means to think carefully about something in a very detailed manner. It is to take an account of something. And so you can just picture a person who's looking deeply into their life and into their actions, and they're pondering deeply about the persons they are, the persons they're becoming, and the persons they are to others in light of God's words and standards. Have you ever been around folks who for decades never ponder? They never ponder how controlling they are, how driven they are, how angry they are, or how avoidant or anxious they are, etc. And that's in part what prayerful pondering does. It gives us a picture of where we're really at and how to move forward in a way that's consistent with God's intention for our lives and relationships. See, when you learn to weave pondering into your conversations and even into your arguments and confrontations, we end up in a far healthier, life-giving place than if we didn't do that. Let me give you an example. One day, my wife and I were having a conversation and she was expressing to me about her disappointment of something I did. And as she was talking, I instantaneously wanted to defend myself. But while she spoke, I filled my listening and my silence with the substance of pondering. I was literally asking myself, Steve, wait a minute, why do you want to be so defensive right now? And then I started asking God, what are you doing here? What do you want to be done? And in the end, my response to my wife was calm and it was apologetic. Why? Because I just wanted her to stop complaining. No, that's not why because that's what God was doing in that moment. He wasn't leading me to defend myself. He wasn't leading me to argue her down. He wasn't leading me to deny or rationalize or excuse my behavior. He was leading me to heal a hurt and reconcile a division. Now, if I didn't pause to ponder to what God was doing in that moment, and pause to ponder what was going on in my own heart and how I was affecting my wife, I would have missed that completely and we would have just spiraled down into further hurt and heat and division. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 these words, Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
You know, the word rule here isn't a word that means something like a ruler or a king. That's not what this word is. It means the factor that determines an outcome. You know, so many things work in us to determine the outcome of our actions, don't they? Like our anger, or the need to defend ourselves, our hurt, our disappointment, our frustrations, anxiety, etc. And this is why we need to make pause, pray, and ponder a priority for our lives. Because it is a helpful spiritual discipline to let the peace of Christ to become the determining factor for what comes next in our words and in our actions especially when we find ourselves amidst conflict. And folks, if you don't know by now, reality is where two or more people are gathered together, there you will have conflict. Amen? Or to put it another way, look, if there's more than you in a room, you're going to have many opportunities for hurt, pain, misunderstanding, and disagreement to arise. To avoid this, you'd have to avoid people altogether. I mean, think about it. Even Jesus was perfect, and he still had conflict with those whom he loved. So understand that conflict simply comes with being human. And perhaps this is why Jesus is so emphatic in his words in Matthew 5. He knows what will happen on a regular basis, even for the best of us. But we need to ask, what makes confronting others so difficult? And by the same token, what can help us take the initiative, not to wait, but to take the initiative to reconcile a conflict with someone else? Well, look, there's a whole host of things we can talk about. I'm just going to mention three. The first one is this. Change your view of confrontation. You know, for many of us, we have rarely, if ever, seen talking about difficult things or hurtful things ever work out very well. I know when I grew up, I was watching my parents address difficult things, and it was like watching an MMA fight, really. In fact, my brother, in order to cope with this, check this out, my brother, uh, to deal with all the heat in the home, would go into this routine of being like a ringside fight announcer. He would do things like this. Oh, Mary comes in with a sweeping left hook. Oh, that really seems to nail George. He's wobbling in the corner. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but seriously, this actually was one of our coping mechanisms as kids to make a joke of all the heated conflict we constantly witnessed. You know, seeing years of this taught me that if things are calm, just leave it be. Don't poke a sleeping grizzly bear, you know what I mean? Bringing things up is, you know, radioactive, and it does more harm than good. So if it's calm, move on. However, over the years, my wife, who happens to be a therapist, has helped me learn that confrontation, healthy confrontation, is nothing like I thought. You see, biblical confrontation is simply this, addressing what needs to be addressed. Really, that's what it is. At its core, it just means addressing what needs to be addressed with someone. And, and we address it so that greater health and growth is the outcome, where wrongs are righted and strong relationships are created. You know, one of the reasons why conflict often gets in the place of being mean or unpleasant or very forceful, or in that place where it involves yelling or, or telling someone off or shutting down or shutting off relationships, is exactly because healthy biblical confrontation has been avoided. You see, these fierce negative expressions arise because we had let the need to address what needs to be addressed lag so long that now we're all jacked up with these negative emotions that we don't simply confront, 
we spew. We spew anger and frustration and hurt and pain and resentment, or we just shut down, we leave a small group, we change jobs, we change churches. You know what I mean. See, this is why, in part, Pastor Dan always preaches about, and actually really lives out, keeping short accounts with people. Otherwise, these negative emotions just pile up and pile up and finally, and finally force us to act out and spew forth so much vitriol and anger. Look, if I can summarize what I'm trying to say here, it's just simply this. A healthy relationship is not one that is conflict-free, but conflict-faced. So in light of all of that, let's try to reframe confrontation as really an act of love. You know, one Christian psychologist and professor uh, coined the word carefrontation. I like that word, carefrontation. Not confrontation, but carefrontation. The idea here is that we take the steps to confront each other because we care. We care about our relationship and we care about the other person's growth and Christ's likeness and wholeness and well-being. So let's seek to care front and not just angrily confront. Make sense? All right, so that's one issue that we need to get straight in our heads. Another one is this. Look, we are called to be peacemakers, not point makers. Can I be honest with you guys? You know, we Christians, we are way too committed to being point makers than being peacemakers. When I counsel folks, it's like they read James 3.18 like this. Point makers who make their points reap a harvest of righteousness. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying don't ever make your point. By all means, do so. Just don't make it your end goal. You know, over the years, what I've noticed is this. Point makers want to win, but peacemakers want to heal. So when you need to work things out with someone, put winning aside and make it your aim to heal and to understand. If you start with the goal to win, I'm telling you right now, you've already lost. Next, we find it hard to reconcile with others because as I started out today, we settle for calm instead of working towards peace. I said before, very often when we argue or fight, you know, we get to that point of real frustration, you know, and we just kind of walk away, we go to our neutral corners or into another room, that kind of a thing. And while we're there, we, we often just calm down. And that's a good thing. We need to calm down. But too often, we usually stop right there because calm to us resembles peace. But calm is not peace. It's a good step towards peace, but it's not the real deal. Though calm makes us feel better, we still end up with less relationship and not more. We end up with less relationship because nothing was resolved. No one asked for forgiveness and no one gave forgiveness. So this is hardly real peace. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen married couples over the years start out as husband and wife, but then over the years end up as mere roommates. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but one reason is this, is that they have created horrible relational habits of settling for calm instead of working hard for peace. Please hear me when I say this. Relief is not the same as resolution. And it's, and it's not resolution because, and, and this is really crucial to understand, it's not resolution because calm still leaves up the walls that separate us. It's just that now we're not as worked up about them, so we don't contend with them. See, this is true for marriages, for friendships, for workplaces. And it's also true for entire nations. 
Let me illustrate this by sharing an interesting and heartbreaking phenomenon that goes on in Ireland. You know, since the late 1960s, a bloody 30-year guerrilla war was waged throughout Northern uh, Ireland, causing thousands of deaths. You know, this 30-year period is commonly referred to as the Troubles. Basically, the conflict was between loyalists and nationalists. The nationalists consisted primarily of Catholics aimed at wanting to keep Ireland united, while the loyalists consisted mostly of Protestants who wanted to keep their British allegiance. Now, in the 70s, the British government began to build what they called peace walls. That's what they were actually named, peace walls. And they built them between the Catholic and Protestant communities in the city of Belfast. Now, this was seen as a temporary effort to calm tensions and decrease attacks. Now, here's a picture of such a wall. Now, many of these walls are some 20 feet high, and many, if not most, remain to this day. Now, although they did indeed bring some calm, they never brought real peace. In fact, today, many residents of Belfast still want them to remain. As one commentator on these peace walls put it, multiple generations have grown up with these high walls dividing communities, and it's normal for them. You know, I'm struck by that comment for several reasons. Why would literal dividing walls be normal? for Christian people. After all, we must keep in our mind that these walls were not only dividing Irish from Irish, but Christian from Christian. Think about that, especially in light of the verses that we read today. Moreover, this comment struck me because I'm beginning to feel like it's starting to characterize life in America. Walls between people and families, walls between churches and political parties have tragically become normal. And with all this divisive language in our culture, even from pastors, I might add, you would think that we Christians are in the business uh, of uh, brick-making instead of peacemaking. Christian author Sarah Bauer Anderson, commenting, commenting on the irony of peace walls in Ireland, and relating it to our contemporary problems in the United States, said this, Walls do exactly what they were made to do. They keep us from one another. And they can be effective in stifling violence, but they also stifle growth. Walls may simplify things for a time, but in the end, they won't heal. And one reason why walls can't heal folks is because of this one big fact because they allow us to evade. They allow us to evade the difficult work of becoming different people who heal divisions instead of maintaining them. You see what I'm saying? See, some of the people of Belfast who want to maintain the walls settle for calm. They settle for the absence of conflict. And that is a grace lesson for many of us Christians. Too often we settle for the absence of conflict instead of working for real peace because the absence of conflict creates a sense of calm. But again, that's not what God is calling us to. In the kingdom of God, the absence of conflict doesn't necessarily mean the presence of God's purposes and values and character in the relationships God has given us. You see, to manifest those qualities, we, need, we don't need wall, but we need to become different people. In other words, no one has to change much just to keep things calm. 
but you have to change to the very core of who you are if you want to see God's best arise in your marriages, your families, your friendships, your churches, and in our culture. Brothers and sisters, settle not for the absence of conflict, but work for the presence of God's best. As Sarah Anderson put it, without walls, much more is asked of us, but much more is possible too. Folks, one of the big takeaways I get from Matthew 5 and James 3.18 is this. In the peacemaking business, as Jesus makes very clear, Christians go first. In a culture, a culture full of walls, we bring the first timers to take it down. We don't wait for an invitation because we've already been given an order. If we, the people of the Prince of Peace, don't take the lead, then it's just crazy to expect anyone else to do it, especially a political party. Can you see the healing that can happen between ethnicities and races and genders and political parties? If we Christians, if we Christians go first, if we Christians are proactive and intentional about taking down walls, folks, the cross and the empty tomb were all about making peace. Peace between us and God and peace between each other. And that peace is established not by walls forged of our anger and contempt, but by God's good grace that has the power to transform a soul. Look, in a moment, we're going to end our time by singing and reflecting on the amazing grace of God because it is so crucial to peacemaking. But before that, let's just take a moment and ask, what is God saying to you? Is there someone that you can think of right now with whom you need to take the initiative to make peace? Maybe for others, you feel so inundated by life's stresses and strains that you really need inner peace. Well, I want to pray for you today. And maybe, well, maybe for some of you, you really need to make peace with God himself. Maybe it's time, finally time, to give your life fully to him and begin to experience his peace for your life. I want to invite you to commit your life to him in a few minutes. I'm going to pray a simple prayer that you can just repeat along with me, okay? Not hard to do. So let's all take a moment and allow God to speak to our hearts. Let's just close our eyes. Just close your eyes. Settle your hearts. Take a deep breath. Lord, what are you saying to us? Lord, your word is clear. Even as we are called to be truth speakers, we are never called to be wall builders, but we are called to be peacemakers. Help us have the courage to take the initiative, to be the first to move towards reconciliation wherever we may have conflict. And forgive us, Lord, for the anger that we nurse, the excuses that we make that inhibit us from making peace. We repent of that and we seek your forgiveness. Lord, for those of us who, who need to experience your peace for our souls and our relationships, I pray that you would fill them with a, a sense of your love and your grace in this very moment. Help them to find the healing and the restoration they so desperately need and to help them persevere and break through to a new day with you. 
And now for those of you who want to give your life fully to Jesus today, just follow me in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I confess the lack of true peace without you. Forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Thank you for your deep love for me. And as best as I know how, I commit my life to you. Come and fill me with your spirit today. In your gracious and loving name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. For those of you who prayed for the first time to give your life to Christ, I want to encourage you to hit the raised hand button in the chat area. You see, when you click on that, a prayer team member can get connected with you right away in a private chat window. Look, we want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. We want to affirm this great, important decision you just made. And we also have more information to give you, which is going to help you in your new walk with Christ. So just hit that button. You know, I especially love those lyrics. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing grace. Look, when we Christians truly internalize God's unending love and his amazing grace, a love and a grace so powerful that they can shatter the chains of sin and anger and division in our hearts, then we can finally join God in tearing down walls that divide our nation and drastically alter the life of our families, our communities, our churches, and our culture. Remember what I mentioned last week. A Christian, a Christian is by definition one who seeks to bring forth the best of God in us and into our world in order to heal it. Not to split it, but to heal it. May the amazing grace and unending love of God make you his person of peace in our age of rage. Now, before I give the blessing today, let me just say thanks again to all of you for joining us today. We are so glad you worshiped with us. And again, if you've uh, given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to hit that raised hand button in uh, the chat area on your screen. And if any of you, you, you still need prayer before this service ends, then hit that prayer button on the bottom of your screen. And remember, if you want to extend the discussion about what we sung about and prayed about and learned about today, then join a connect group right after the service. The link for that is right in the chat area. Just hit that and you'll be taken right into that form. And if you're a new person to our community, this is a wonderful way to get to meet other people. Now, before we go, please receive this blessing. May the endless love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ abundantly fill your soul and overflow into all your relationships so that the world will come to know the Prince of Peace in our age of rage. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next time. Aloha. Pastor Steve helps us bring down walls and create real peace between us and everyone in our lives. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Normally, we gather on Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako, but for now, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday morning at 8, 9.30 and 11.11 for First Pres, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. And be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and our plans to reopen to in-person worship. If you have any questions or needs, you can reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.